The ideas, procedures, and suggestions contained within this podcast are not intended as a substitute for consulting with a medical professional. All matters regarding your health and fitness require medical consultation and supervision. Welcome to the Warrior Wellness Podcast, a podcast for military members, veterans, and first responders focusing on fitness, health, nutrition, and biohacking. Our mission with this podcast is to introduce America's heroes to lifestyle habits and hacks that will help them live healthier, happier lives, and in turn, be fit enough to continue their support of their communities and country. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Warrior Wellness Podcast. I'm sitting down today with Dr. Georgia Eve, who is a Harvard-trained board-certified psychiatrist, and she specializes in nutritional and metabolic psychiatry. Very interesting stuff, right? Um, I met Dr. Eve, I believe, at KetoCon. It might have been Metabolic Health Summit. I'm not sure. A couple years ago, but um, she presented, and my mind basically just exploded. I had no idea, even though I am a licensed mental health counselor, that there were so many research-proven, already-documented nutritional links to mental health symptoms, and that this is a a small but mighty movement in the mental health um, space where psychiatrists and mental health practitioners and social workers are now finally coming to realize that there are lots and lots of things that we can do nutritionally for people who are suffering from mental health disorders or diagnoses or symptoms, and that actually commonly some just very common nutrient deficiencies are linked directly to symptoms that look a lot like mental health disorders, and you may actually get diagnosed with a mental health disorder, but actually the symptoms are being caused by a very simple vitamin deficiency that could be easily resolved with better nutrition and supplementation. So um, Dr. Ede is passionate about empowering people with psychiatric conditions to reduce or eliminate the need for medications by changing how they eat. What a concept. Wow. (laughs) So we've been, we're doing this in the the medical field with the chronic health conditions like diabetes and cancer and Alzheimer's and, um, you know, all of those chronic health conditions related to poor nutrition. And now we're doing it with mental health. So what a concept. If you eat better, you actually feel better mentally and physically. In this episode, we will discuss the links between nutrition and mental health, research proven ways that you can change your nutrition in order to improve your mental health symptoms and why these changes are not only worth it, but necessary for long-term management of mental health issues. So I hope you enjoy this interview with Dr. Georgia Eade. Introducing the new Fireteam Whiskey Fitness and Nutrition app. Everything you need to get fit and lose weight right at your fingertips. Choose from hundreds of fitness videos and fitness plans. Search for workouts by fitness level, equipment available, or body part focus. Choose from several nutrition plans and customize your macros. Your entire fitness, nutrition, and wellness plan all scheduled on your calendar. Text a trainer anytime for tips, tricks, and motivation. Achieve your fitness and health goals with the Fireteam Whiskey app. Go to www.fireteamwhiskey.com to get two weeks of results for free. 
Well, Dr. Georgia E., thank you so much for joining us on the Warrior Wellness Podcast. And um, let's just dive right in because I already did your intro. So everybody knows how how um, highly decorated you are and how amazing you are and how you're just spearheading the, the movement to um, for nutritional mental health. Um, but I was looking at your website the other day and I, I wanted to start with this just because I love this quote so much and I want you to expound upon it. So right on your website, you say you have a motto that states your diagnosis doesn't have to be your destiny. And I just love this. So can you talk a little bit more about this? Oh yeah. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks for noticing that because it is, uh, it's, you know, the name of my website is diagnosis diet. And and a lot of people ask me, well, why, why is it, why did you name it that? And it was because, you know, many years ago when I was first, uh, first first started thinking about whether or not food could have something to do with anything you know beyond weight and heart disease and cholesterol levels i had never really thought about food in terms of how it might have affected the brain or any really any other aspect of health other than the things that we typically think about which are things like uh, cholesterol levels and weight and heart disease and so back then which was i don't know maybe 15 years ago or so when i was first thinking about this uh, it, it started to occur to me that, you know, that uh, a lot of the diagnoses that were given, you know, when it, you, you meet with a doctor or some other kind of a practitioner, a nurse practitioner or physician's assistant, and, and you, you meet with somebody and they give you a diagnosis and they say, this is the problem that you have. And you're going to, it, it feels as though this is now a new label that you're going to be wearing and that uh, this is now part of your identity. And that usually most diagnoses, the way they're given, you're usually given a diagnosis and you're given a treatment. That treatment is either surgery or chemotherapy or medication, oftentimes a medication that you have to take for the rest of your life as if it's final and as if there really isn't anything you can do about it. And so one of the things that had inspired me to think about it that way was my own experience which was that I had been feeling pretty awful for, for a while, a year or more in my early 40s and all these different symptoms that kind of perplexed all the doctors that I'd gone to and all my tests were normal. But then when I changed my diet in these kind of unusual, unorthodox ways, all these quote diagnoses, you know, things like fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue and IBS and things, like, they all went away. And so it just got me thinking, well, what else might be due to us having the wrong diet information. What, what else, I mean, and, and the more I learned and the more I studied, and I'm, I'm sure you've done this yourself, the more, the more you think about it and the more you dig in to the, the research, the nutrition research, um, you, you realize that the information that we're given about diet is upside down. And that if you turn it right side up, a lot of things that can feel quite miraculous are possible. And so that's what it is. I, I, I wonder how many diagnoses are actually because of your diet rather than something that, that you can't do anything about, that you're destined for, that you're genetically predisposed to, it runs in your family, or it's just because of your age, uh, whatever it is. And so that's a long answer to your question. I, I think whenever somebody gives anybody a diagnosis, the first thing that comes to my mind is, I wonder if it could be their diet. Yeah, and 
And I love that. And, you know, we, we're seeing this more and more in, you know, on the, the traditional medical side of things, right? We're, we're finally kind of um, finding out, you know, the, the sugar issue and, you know, and how doing low fat for so long has, has hurt us in so many ways. So on the physical side of things, you're seeing a, a kind of a, a shift in our societal understanding of, you know, fat is not so bad and sugar actually is bad. And, you know, so the things that, you know, our generations ago were told by their doctors are now maybe changing uh, quite a bit, but on the mental health side, this is still kind of a, a very new concept, even though you cover, I mean, over and over and over again, in all your presentations, all you got to do is Google Dr. Georgia Eats, you know, on, on YouTube, and you'll see so many presentations that she's given where she's presenting this evidence. But I know, you know, I'm a licensed mental health counselor, so I have a graduate degree in mental health counseling you're a psychiatrist, we are, you know, trained in these school systems to be these experts in this area of mental health. And I can guess and that you had the similar experience that I did, that you got zero information about how nutrition plays a role in mental health. And so when I saw your presentation, I don't remember if it was at Metabolic Health Summit or KetoCon, one of the two, it just, my mind exploded. Like literally, I can't believe you couldn't see the smoke from, <laughs> from the stage <laughs> of my mind going, what? I'm a mental health counselor and I had no idea. I knew anecdotally from my own experience that I had basically cured my mental health conditions and symptoms with my diet change. But I had no idea that this was an actual thing that actual mental health practitioners were getting this information and using it with their clients. So, you know, can you talk a little bit about the medical model approach and how it's kind of more of like a diagnosis, medication, symptom management, and the difference went in this new kind of field of um, healing the mind with new, good nutrition and food? Yeah, well, there's so, so much there that really resonates with me uh, from you know, not having learned anything about nutrition, the connection between nutrition and mental health uh, in four years of medical school and then another four years of psychiatry residency, not a word about food in the brain, not a word. And so uh, it came as a surprise to me too, you know, when I first started to think about it and, and try to put it together. And, you know, as, as, as mental health professionals, you and I know that when people come to us and they have, uh, they have symptoms, you know, they're depressed or they can't sleep or they're anxious, um, mood swings, um, you know, lots of different, uh, just a chronic worry, obsessive thinking, PTSD, I think probably your listeners can identify with uh, quite a bit. And so a lot of different symptoms and we as mental health professionals are charged, part of our job is supposed to be to diagnose them with something and uh, insurance companies expect this and, and will only pay you if there is a diagnosis. So you're expected to come up with a diagnosis and a treatment plan. Um, and as, as you well know, uh, the way that we make, the, the way that we diagnose people with things in, in, in the mental health profession is by using this book called the DSM, which goes through these various 
they're always coming out with a new version. I think we're up to 5TR now, DSM-5TR, I think is the one that just came out. And it's really just this giant, not completely useless book, but almost entirely unhelpful to clinicians, this book. And it's basically Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. The Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, and so you, it's their lists of symptoms, and you match the symptoms that you're that uh, the person's coming to you for help, you, you ask them for their symptoms, you try to match up their symptoms with one of the diagnoses in this book. And it's extremely difficult to do in many cases because most people don't fit neatly into any category. Most people have smatterings of, of they've got some depression symptoms, they've got some anxiety symptoms. They may even have at times symptoms that look or feel a little bit like psychosis, but they don't have schizophrenia. Uh, they have mood swings, but they don't meet full criteria for bipolar illness. It's just really, um, the book doesn't really reflect what we see in the real world. And there's, there's no information in the DSM about how diet um, uh, might be affecting you know, people's, people's mood and, and ability to, to, to concentrate. So, so it's very challenging uh, um, in this field because we don't have any tests. There's not a single test that you can do for somebody that can say, you have, you have major depression, you have bipolar illness, you have, even for schizophrenia, even for Alzheimer's disease, there are no tests. And so uh, Alzheimer's disease, you can diagnose after, uh, after the person has, has passed on. Uh, you can look directly at the brain and, and make the diagnosis, but prior to that, uh, we, we can't do this. And that's because the living brain is, is protected in this chamber of bone and its blood supply is completely separate from the rest of the blood supply of the body. We can't just do a blood test and figure out what's going on in the brain. So it's really a very fuzzy, it's a very fuzzy area of medicine. Uh, there are even some people who will say, well, it's not medicine at all. Um, but uh, but, but uh, one of the things I love about this field is that there is a lot of room for, for learning, for, for trying new things, for thinking about things differently, and for helping people in new ways. Because all of us who go into this field, I think almost everyone who goes into this field, we go into it because we care about people and we're trying to help. And so if you just keep your mind open and you listen and you pay attention and you stay flexible, you will find ways. You will find ways to help people even if, even if you're not going by the book. And that's what we need to do. We need to start treating the brain as an organ. It's an organ just like any other organ. It can malfunction just like any other organ. And it can malfunction in response to diet just like every other organ does. So it makes perfect sense. It's, it's, it's kind of strange that, that we hadn't been thinking about it, you know, uh, I'm sure some people did, but you know, it, it wasn't it wasn't very common knowledge until recently. And there's a, a group of us now doing this kind of work, and it's really catching on. Yeah, it's really exciting. I, I mean, I, I'm and I'm so grateful to be a part of this movement. And I know Dr. Georgia E knows my story because I took a, a clinician training with her on this very topic, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in in a few minutes. But um, you know, I think I, I told her how I kind of got into this area of nutrition was the fact that I'd be at these huge events with military members and sitting down with 20 to 30 soldiers at a time in a day going through their, their medical records. And I'm the mental health person. I'm looking at that, but 
I was just struck at the link between, you know, the ones that had these mental health diagnoses and were on these mental health medications and they had always other chronic health issues, always. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there, there was not an exception and, you know, and it just, that light bulb just started kind of lighting up and going, huh, you know, I'm seeing a pattern here. I'm seeing a pattern of depression and anxiety and being 50 pounds overweight or, you know, and having back issues and, you know, all of these kind of connections started to come to play when I was at these events for this over so many years. And it, it just became very apparent to me that we were missing something that we really were missing that, that link between nutrition and chronic health issues to include mental health issues. And, you know, and, and the timeliness of this interview, um, Dr. Eid, is um, pretty relevant because um, just recently the suicide rate for active duty um, military members rose um, higher than um, the high that was back in 2000. So mm -hmm. we've actually gone past that high number from 2000. The rate now is at 28.7 per 100,000. And that's up from 26.3 last year. So um, we are obviously failing still. Our military members, law enforcement, first responder, and medical professional suicide rates are on the rise too. So, um, you know, this is why this issue was so pertinent to me and, you know, that I sought out additional training and then I created Fireteam Whiskey to, you know, to do these very things to help people not only with their mental health issues, but with their nutrition as well as a full wellness package. So, um, you know, I'm sure a lot of people are scratching their heads, you know, like I, I first did when I, I saw your presentation and said, gosh, how could nutrition possibly affect our mental health? Can you name some of the common kind of links between nutrition and mental health? And I'm sure people are thinking like, oh, well, are you just telling me to go vegan and like all my mental health symptoms will go away? <laughs> so we can open that can of worms too. <laughs> <laughs> um. Are you fire team ready? Try the fire team whiskey Spec Ops Keto Joe Shake. The Keto Joe Shake is a medium chain triglyceride MCT shake derived from non-GMO coconut oil. It contains 17 grams of MCT, 10 grams of high quality whey protein and no sugar. It's sweetened with stevia leaf, so you can keep those carbs low and shred that body fat. 25 milligrams of caffeine to give you extra energy for the gym or your busy day. Fireteam Whiskey has been supplying military members deployed all over the world with Spec Ops shakes for over three years. Fireteam Whiskey Spec Ops shakes are fueling the fight. Whether you are just trying to lose a few pounds or trying to get that extra edge in the gym, the Fireteam Whiskey Spec Ops shakes are for you. Make sure to stock up now and support our efforts to raise funds for Team RWB, our nonprofit partner that provides social support and fitness events for our nation's heroes. Wow. So, yeah, there are very clear. Um, uh, we now have, uh, we've accumulated decades of evidence about about how, about how. Uh, let me let me uh, see if I can uh, really be specific here. There are four, there are many more than this, but there are four fundamental bridges between what we eat 
and, and whether or not the brain is functioning properly. So one of those we've known for uh, about 100 years now, close to 100 years, is nutrient deficiencies. You know, so if you're not getting all the nutrients you need, of course, essential nutrients are essential. The brain needs every essential nutrient. In fact, it needs more uh, uh, nutrients than the rest of the body because it's such a high energy electrical organ. So it requires a lot of vitamins and minerals to run the chemical reactions that are needed to extract energy from food. So that's, uh, so nutrient deficiencies is one, but we've known about those for a very long time. But the other three that have come into sharper focus have been inflammation, uh, oxidative stress, and insulin resistance or metabolic dysfunction. So, so uh, those three are really the ones that we're paying a lot more attention to just in, just in the re in recent, maybe five to 10 years. And so inflammation it's not the kind of inflammation you can necessarily see or feel. The brain doesn't have any nerve endings. So if your brain is, is, is irritated by inflammation, it won't, you won't feel it you know, being swollen or red or sore, um, but it's on a microscopic level. And uh, an oxidative stress too, you know, too many free radicals. Um, these are the things that people use antioxidants for to try to fight. Oxidative stress damages the brain from the inside out and, and insulin resistance very, very important. Insulin resistance, just basically your, your blood sugar and insulin levels are running too high too often, and that's damaging the metabolism of the body as well as the brain. So in the body, it can lead to a variety of different things. It can lead to obesity, it can lead to type two diabetes, uh, it can lead to fatty liver disease, um, it can lead to heart disease. In the brain, uh, um, insulin resistance we now know is one of the key causal factors behind Alzheimer's disease. And so if your blood sugar and insulin levels aren't in a healthy range, then uh, your brain uh, cannot access the energy it needs uh, reliably to be able to do the work that it's trying to do. So aside from nutrient deficiencies, which is where vegan diets come in, um, we, have, we have inflammation, oxidative stress, and insulin resistance. Yeah, that I, I love that summary. That was good. <laughs> I definitely could have summarized it like that. Um, so, so, and and specific to military members and first responders and you know medical professionals and and law enforcement, you know this this issue is so compounded, right? Because they're on shift work and you know they don't tend to have access to or time for you know, whole food nutrition to make their own meals. Um, and uh, the exposure to toxins is another thing, you know, with the, the inflammation and the free radicals. Um, so, you know, the, I think like, especially for, you know, the population that I help, you know, it's just so much more difficult than just like, you know, just somebody who's just has a nine to five job, they, they go to work, they, they come home, they can make their own meals. So, um, the the nutrient the nutritional deficits. Um, let's just start there for a second. I um, can you name a very common one just to give somebody an idea. You know what that means. Like, what do you mean by nutrient deficiency? What could I be you know deficient in? You know, I I eat my typical. I go through the drive through in the morning, and you know, I get my meats and my my cheese and my you know my bread, and you know, I have pasta and, and meat for, for dinner. And I have a sandwich for lunch, you know, I, I'm getting my nutrients, right. You know, what, what could I be deficient in? Well, that's a great question. Uh, so, 
uh, one of the common, one of the more common nutrient deficiencies uh, that uh, that people aren't often tested for, but it's more common than people realize, is B12 deficiency. Uh, so vitamin B12, uh, critical for uh, for brain and body function, of course, and 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 iron deficiency. Iron deficiency more common among women than men, but kind of uh, alarmingly common among women to the point that we think of it as normal. Uh, expected for women to have high rates of iron deficiency. It can be, depending on which population we're talking about, can be 15 to 20% of, of women with iron deficiency in the reproductive years. But B12 deficiency, even if you're eating animal foods, even if you're eating meat, for example, you can have uh, deficiencies of B12 and iron because there are foods that can interfere with your ability to absorb and use those nutrients. And the other thing is that if you have any kind of gut damage, or if you're taking certain medications, uh, it can be very difficult uh, to absorb B12 properly, even if you're getting enough in your diet. And, and the other reason why it's hard for, for us to know whether or not we have these deficiencies, uh, beyond the fact that they're not tested for properly usually, that kind of standard tests uh, don't aren't good at detecting it, is that, um, uh, you know, we 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 don't think of we we don't think of these things uh, as problems. And so, if you go to your doctor and they say, "Oh, you have iron deficiency," um, we don't think about how that might affect the brain. We only think about how that's going to affect the blood cells. Uh, but the the brain needs iron to make neurotransmitters, for example, uh, neurotransmitters like dopamine, which some of the medications are trying to boost. You know, boost the uh, levels of dopamine. Well, you can't make dopamine without iron. If you don't have enough iron, that may be a problem. And so, uh, and there are many other nutrient deficiencies as well, depending on how you're eating. So there are foods in our diet that we're told we're supposed to eat, that we're told are healthy for us, that are actually uh, full of something called anti-nutrients. And so it's, you do need to eat your nutrients, but you also need to be careful not to eat too many anti-nutrients. Things like grains and legumes, for example, are very high in anti-nutrients and make it harder for us to absorb things like iron and zinc, uh, magnesium, calcium. Uh, so um, it, it's because the nutrition information we have been given is so upside down, a lot of people think that they're doing the right thing because they're following, you know, they're following the mainstream advice. Uh, some people really work very hard at this and still they can, they can run into a lot of health problems because the information isn't sound. Yeah, yeah, no, and that's, that's a really good example because you know we, we feel like, a lot of people feel like they're doing the, all the right things. They're looking, if you're looking at the RDAs on, on your packages for your food and it says, well, I'm getting enough zinc in it. But you know, if you're eating the anti-nutrients, it's preventing your body from being able to absorb those things. So yes, your food label may say it has this in it, but that doesn't mean you're absorbing it. And you might be actually eating things that are preventing you from being able to do that and gut damage from you know poor nutritional choices um, can also exacerbate or exacerbate that, that issue. And um, you know the, these kind of nutrient deficiencies can mimic mental health symptoms. Yes. And, and so it's, it's amazing when you look up, you know, what does, you know, what, what do these, these vitamin deficiencies, what kind of symptoms do they create not only in the body, but also in your moods and your, your 
energy level. So you might just have a vitamin D deficiency, but you feel like, well, I, I'm depressed because I have low energy. I, I'm always tired. I'm fatigued. I'm sad. I'm, you know, so that it might just, you know, you might get on a, put on a medic medication and given a diagnosis for depression when it could be a very simple fix with your nutrition. That's right. Anything that causes inflammation uh, can cause depression. And so for a lot of people, um, they don't make that connection. And so uh, inflammation over the past 10 to 20 years, the information about the, the, the connection between inflammation and depression has just grown stronger and stronger. And this is why the antidepressants don't always help um, because they don't target inflammation. And so if there's any time, a part of this is just helping people reconnect with their bodies and how they feel after they eat uh, different types of foods and just being more aware and saying, you know, asking, asking ourselves, okay, did that, did eating that meal make me feel good, you know, or did it make me feel really tired or did it make me feel achy or did it make me, you know, uh, did it make me feel depressed? I mean, there are lots of people I've come across in my practice who, if they have something, for example, with gluten in it, even if they don't have a serious allergy to gluten or celiac disease, which is a, um, a, an autoimmune disease related to gluten. Gluten is a, a protein in wheat and barley and rye, uh, triticale too, but nobody eats triticale. <laughs> so um, if you're, if there are a lot of uh, people I've come across in my practice who, if they eat something with gluten, it makes them depressed uh, the next day. And they notice, they notice that if they're paying attention, they can notice that connection. So um, a, a lot of this is cleaning up the diet and, uh, and learning which foods are working for you and which foods are working against you. And then trying to get your diet closer to one that's got your back. Yeah, yeah. So, it, I mean, it, it's, it might be a big transition for somebody, but you can start taking those baby steps to get there and focusing on, on those, those things that you just talked about, you know, a low inflammatory diet with, um, you know, staying away from those, um, anti, um, nutrients, um, you know, eating real whole foods, <laughs> what a concept, um, and, and making sure that you have a variety of foods, um, and, and to include animal products. So, um, there is a lot of talk in, in your field and what you do and, um, about the state of ketosis and how it can be beneficial for people who are struggling with mental health symptoms. And I know, uh, you know, a lot, that's kind of a buzzword, you know, people know keto now and it's pretty popular and ketosis can have some, you know, negative connotations because it's mistaken for ketoacidosis, which is a very dangerous state to be in. So can you talk about why ketosis um, could be helpful for somebody who's struggling with mental health symptoms? Oh, sure. Uh, so uh, ketosis, so the, the, all of us have, no matter how we're eating, we always have a very, very low level of ketones in our bloodstream, no matter what. Um, it, it's normal and natural for us to make ketones when we're burning fat. Uh, the, the body breaks down fat, whether it's butter fat or belly fat, whatever, whether fat's coming from inside or outside the body. The, uh, it's normal and natural for us to create, uh, to break that fat down into fatty acids, which a lot of uh, cells in the body can use for energy and ketones, uh, which the brain uh, in particular uh, uh, enjoys burning uh, to a high degree uh, ketones. And so um, when you're in ketosis, the brain has access 
not just a glucose for energy because it does like to have some glucose at all times and it can get that from your bloodstream, but it also likes to have some ketones available at all times too. And so if you're eating, if you're eating too much, if you're eating too, uh, you get too much carbohydrate in your diet, or you're just eating overeating in general, it's going to be, you're not going to be burning fat very often. You might only be burning it overnight when you're not eating, for example, uh, or, or when you've fasted for, for uh, whatever reason. So, but if you go on a ketogenic diet, a ketogenic diet is designed to keep you in ketosis um, most of the time. And if you're in keto, what that means is that your ketone levels in the blood are higher than they would be for most other people. That you are intentionally trying to get your ketone levels to a, what we call a therapeutic range. So um, let's say that someone who's eating normally, um, you know, eating a, a balanced diet that includes carbohydrates and you know fruits and vegetables and grains and things like that, they might wake up with their ketones maybe at 0.2 or 0.3 millimole in their blood uh, after they've fasted overnight while they're sleeping. Someone in ketosis uh, would uh, uh, say wake up with their ketones at say 1.0 or 2.0, um, so uh, quite a bit higher. And when there are more ketones in the blood, the brain uh, is uh, receiving more energy. It's receiving more fuel. And the other wonderful, so that's fantastic um, because ketones are anti, when you're on a ketogenic diet or you in ketosis, um, there's anti-inflammatory properties to the ketogenic diet and there are antioxidant properties to the ketogenic diet. So um, that inflammation and oxidation that can be driving depression and anxiety and mood problems and difficulty concentrating, the ketogenic diet is naturally anti-inflammatory and antioxidant. The other wonderful thing about ketosis is that you can't get into ketosis without getting your blood sugar levels down into a healthy range. And high blood sugar is very bad for the brain. Every time your blood sugar spikes, your brain sugar also spikes. Um, and brain sugar spikes are dangerous. They can create a lot of that inflammation and oxidation that we were talking about. So a ketogenic diet does two things. It, it raises ketone levels and uh, supports brain energy, but it lowers glucose levels to re reduce the damage that can be done by uh, high sugar, high insulin diets. Yeah, and um, and so I think the next question someone would ask is, you know, well, okay, so you're telling me I need to be in the state, I need to change my nutrition, um, you know, am I just going to be eating rabbit food and I'm going to be miserable and hungry all the time? And why would I do that? I I'll be depressed anyway. <laughs> right? Which we've heard that many times. <laughs> so. Um, the, the wonderful answer is that's not the case. So, um, what, what would you say uh, to that? Yeah. So, um, it, I will be honest, of course, there are things, if you're going to try to eat a ketogenic diet, there are things that you cannot eat. Um, you know, you can't eat cookies and cake and candy and all of that stuff. You can't eat pasta, at least not regular pasta, you know, things that, and bread and things that, things that are delicious and convenient and inexpensive and, um, that, uh, you know, are hard to give up, but the good news is that, um, if, if you're, if you're going to uh, switch on to a ketogenic diet after a week or two, uh, interest in those things, cravings for those things do, uh, do go, they go down significantly. Uh, it's a different state of mind. 
So there are things you have to set aside in order to try this, in order to try this way of eating. But the good news is that the things you can eat on this diet are things most people have been told they should not be eating and enjoying. So things like fat and meat um, uh, are, are back on the menu again. And these are really uh, nourishing and easy to digest. And uh, most people find them quite delicious. So there are, there are many pluses to eating this way um, that, uh, and, and it's really important to focus on those. And what I usually um, encourage people to do is to think about this as, as kind of a curiosity experiment, kind of like a, a journey of discovery rather than, oh, I have to eat this way for the rest of my life. Tr try it and see how you feel. You know, give it six weeks and see if it helps you. And if it helps you, then you can decide whether it's worth it for you to stay on it. And, and if it doesn't help you, then, uh, then either we'd have to do some troubleshooting or maybe it's not right for you. But I would say, and, um, and, and uh, please, please uh, share your experiences as well, working with your clients, is um, I, I, can, I think I can count on one hand of the hundreds of people I've worked with, one, probably just one hand, how many people did not benefit at all from this way of eating. Most people benefit to some degree and some people benefit tremendously. So it's, it, it's really well worth it. It's a completely different metabolic state, a very healthy and healing one. And uh, it's a, also a completely different state of mind. People often don't recognize how they feel or how they're reacting to things or how they're thinking or feeling about things that used to really upset them. You know, because it's not as though going on a ketogenic diet is gonna change your history. It's not gonna change whatever, you know, very difficult things may have happened to you, um, but it changes the way your brain deals with them. And so I've had so many people say, you know, well, my life isn't any better than it was before, but I can set it aside. I can think of, I can think of new options. I, I'm, not as, I'm not as focused on that painful event or this difficult relationship or, or whatever it was that, was that used to really plague me. And so, and it allows people to make more progress in their therapy, in their relationships, and it allows them a little breathing room to think about new, new ways forward. Sometimes they can think their way out of a box they felt they were stuck in um, when it comes to a career or a relationship for for example. So it can be very, very helpful for people who have had traumatic experiences. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I guess I would follow that up with, um, you know, I think, and I agree with that as, as somebody who's helped, you know, people make this transition as well. Um, the only thing that gets in people's way, I think is more of the, the, the psychological component of, that identity that you talked about at the beginning, you know, when you've been labeled as something for so long and, you know, we do kind of get some positive reinforcement out of being a sick person um, or being a labeled person. And we, we kind of cling to that identity. And when we start feeling differently, it's kind of threatening and because it's unknown and, and sometimes there's comfort in misery rather than trying something new because trying something new is scary. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad you said, you know, choose, you know, look at it as an experiment and see, really give it a, give it a shot and see if it's going to make you feel any differently. 
you can always go back to where you were, right? I mean, that's always an option. So, um, and I also wanted to definitely make sure before we um, end this interview to encourage those listening who might be in the medical field or mental health field um, and might want to learn a little bit more about these approaches to um, mental health issues. So um, Dr. E, can you talk about your, your um, clinician training that, that you run so we can make sure people know about that? Uh, sure. And uh, it, it brings up an opportunity to say something else about ketogenic diets is that the, one of the reasons why I created this training program for fellow clinicians is because there are some things uh, that, that are important to know before you, before you start this diet, especially if you're taking medications or have any other health issues. Um, uh, and so it, uh, it's, it, there, there are some caveats to it, and there are some things that have to be approached with caution. And it's not because the diet is dangerous. It's because the health condition that you may have or the medication that you may be taking, um, uh, when you go through the transition from a high carbohydrate diet to a low carbohydrate diet, the body uh, responds to that very quickly in, in very positive ways. So for example, if you have high blood sugar, your blood sugar is gonna come down very quickly. That's a very good thing, but not if you're also taking a medicine that lowers blood sugar, for example. So just in order to be able to safely navigate the transition period, um, that's extremely important. So if you're out there listening and you're thinking, oh, I, I have depression or I have anxiety or I have PTSD and I wanna try a ketogenic diet, uh, you do need to learn more about it first uh, before you before you decide before you decide um, that you're ready to try it. So, uh, in any case, um, this clinician training is designed to um, they're, they're small group trainings online uh, with lots of time for discussion and questions and answers and things like that. Lots of supportive materials that come along with it, and it's five 90 minute sessions over five weeks. And uh, so, and it's, it's really interactive. And, and basically what I do is I teach the science of ketogenic diets and mental health and uh, home, med, home module and medication management. And the other modules are how to implement this diet safely. What are the different ways you can do it? What are the different things you watch out for? And then a, tr a, tr a module on troubleshooting. So that if, you're, if you want some new options in your practice, if you're a fellow clinician and you've got people piling up in your practice who aren't getting better or who don't want to take medications or can't tolerate medications, um, you know, or, or the medications aren't working well enough. It's not just a wonderful diet to try as an, as an alternative to medications. It's also a wonderful diet to, to try to help the medications work better. So it, it can be used as an add-on uh, or as an instead of and it's, it's really uh, completely transformed the way I think about mental health, the way my patients think about their mental health issues. Uh, they no longer see this uh, you know, as sort of a lifelong problem or a character weakness or a permanent, permanent damage from a trauma. They start to think about it more as a metabolic condition uh, that they will have a lot more control over than they thought. And that's very empowering. And, and that's what we want. We want to empower people uh, so that they will not be um, as dependent on medications and even as dependent on health professionals long-term as, uh, as, as uh, you know, we know there's, so, there, as you know, it's very hard to find treatment and very hard to find professionals um, uh, in the mental health system. We can reduce that need 
uh, for, by people learning how to take better care of themselves and feeling better. Yeah, and I, I definitely highly recommend it um, because I went through the training as well. So I learned so much from um, Dr. Eats uh, clinicians training in this. And I, I thought I already knew everything about keto. <laughs> <laughs> and I even learned something. So yeah, no, that was very helpful. And I'm glad you said that, um, Dr. Eats. It, it, so if you are listening and you want to give this a try, and you're on any kind of medications for anything, I don't care what it is, you definitely need to hook up with one of the clinicians that has received this kind of training through Dr. Eads program, because then we can help you safely navigate um, the process of, of transitioning and giving this a try. So definitely that safety caveat out there of if you are on medications, please, um, you know, and please, you can email me through the show notes or contact Dr. Georgia Eid. She can um, give you a list of maybe somebody who might be near you or who can do virtual sessions with you. Um, I do virtual sessions as well. So I help people do this transition. So please connect with someone who's, who's trained and professional in this area and, um, you know, give it a try. So thank you so much, Dr. Eid, for coming on the Warrior Wellness Program. Thank you, Captain Lincoln. Hey guys, thanks so much again for joining us on another episode of the Warrior Wellness Podcast. Please make sure to subscribe, follow, like, all that good stuff on your favorite podcast platform or and on our YouTube channel. Go ahead and leave us a review while you're there. And if you screenshot your review, email it to info at fireteamwhiskey.com with your name and address you'll be entered into our drawing for a prize for just leaving us a review so let us know what we're doing great what you'd like to hear more about and please go ahead and just give us a follow and give us a honest review especially on itunes because that helps us reach other military members, veterans, and first responders with this vitally important information about how to improve their health, fitness, and wellness. We will see you at the next episode of the Warrior Wellness Podcast. I am your podcast host, former Army Captain Stephanie Lincoln, founder of Fire Team Whiskey. Fire Team Whiskey is proud to sell Zaya Athletic Wear. We love the awesome styles, amazing quick dry technology, and best of all, the price. Zaya Active is the official workout wear of Fire Team Whiskey. Go to bit.ly forward slash Zaya FTW and check out all the styles for women, men, and kids. When you look good, you feel good. Guys, it's about time you threw away those stained t-shirts and those baggy, saggy shorts and upgrade your gym swagger. Zaya Active is the official workout wear of Fireteam Whiskey. Go to bit.ly forward slash Zaya FTW and check out all the styles for women, men, and kids.